listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm here with Sarah Humphreys, and she is going to talk to us about her experience now that her baby is here. Sarah used an egg donor to have her son, Holden, and he's now four months old. She will share with us what it's like to be a parent and what types of comments and questions are coming up. I, I love a post that Sarah shared uh, that I want to read to you. And she said, for women like me, infertility and associated grief doesn't actually end with having a beautiful, and may I add, perfect child. Now that the work on what this means in relation to living in our world begins. Sarah, I love that you wrote that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for being here today on the podcast. You have a beautiful way with words, so I'm, I'm looking forward to to hearing more about your, your experiences. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I absolutely am honored really to have the opportunity to, to talk about uh, any, any topic related to fertility and donor conception at this point. It, it's uh, certainly changed my world. <laughs> yeah. It's all about educating others about what it's really like, you know, for real people. And uh, that's why I wanted to do this podcast too. And I think it's especially important for parents to know that like you said, the grief doesn't actually end when you have a child. I think no. that expectation that it ends can be very disappointing for some moms and, and they can be surprised and shocked. And, and that letdown can really be overwhelming. Did you Absolutely. experience a, a letdown or, or is it in relation to other things that you're experiencing? I noticed uh, the grief changed um, for mm-hmm. me. I noticed that prior to having, even while I was pregnant, but, but prior to having my son, there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of fear that the grief wouldn't end, that I wouldn't be able to, uh, if, what, what if I didn't connect with him? What if he didn't connect with me? I, I actually was more consumed throughout my process with how he was going to feel. It mm-hmm. actually took me quite some time to get to a place where I was really looking at how I felt. <laughs> I okay. was very yeah. concerned how he was going to feel. But this, this idea that I was grieving a genetic loss with ha- in having a child that was genetically related to me was very scary. And the, the grief changed. I actually realized that rel- relatively recently while I was rocking him and he was asleep and I kind of, you know, you get these really quiet moments. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had actually stopped grieving him having my genetics and started grieving that I didn't have his. Yes. Yes. That makes sense. That I felt this new wonderful relationship that I had been craving for so long. And it's just another, it would be another way for me to feel closer and bo- and even more bonded. But the, the bond that I'm developing with him that grows every day uh, has also come with a grief that I uh, I won't get to know that part of him, right? That that's a journey that I'm going to get to walk beside him and behind him because mm-hmm. he can understand that about himself. Yeah, uh, and so that that's it, the grief really changed in that way. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, it it is like you said, changing grief, and and so I like that you phrase it that way. And the way I said it was a letdown and I don't want it to be perceived as 
the you're disappointed right. because it's not about disappointment is it it's it's just about this idea this fantasy i think that society paints about being about motherhood in general you know that yeah. and then coupled with the additional complexities of donor conception i think it's that that makes it and then the hormones frankly yeah, the, hormones. the hormones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i i think if you consider all those things as a new mom especially as a new mom of a donor conceived baby it's important to know you know, it's going to settle out. It's going to settle. It's going to get easier in ways and hormones will settle. And, but also to look at those feelings and as they're coming up and be mindful of, of what you're feeling. And like you said, for you, it shifted from he wouldn't have yours to now you don't have his. Right. And I love that because it's beautiful and how you see it's a two way relationship. And how do you fill in those gaps? Or if it feels like a hole or a, or a distance or whatever way you describe that, feeling, how do you, how do we close that? How do we fill that in? And what do we fill that in with? And when they're babies, the physical traits seem to almost take like a, a, a large seat in our psychological presence of, of our relationship with their child. And then as they grow, their personality comes out. And then it's like the physical stuff seems to, at least in my experience, matter less. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of maybe a, the good news is that yeah, at first it, it's, you know, they can't talk with you. They can't share their thoughts. So you really look at the the physical. Um, and other people are pointing it out. So. They are. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, well, and it was something that I tried to prepare myself for, which in hindsight, I don't necessarily know I could have done, <laughs> um, but I sort mm -hmm. of had this idea, okay, people are going to come to the hospital room and they're going to ask me does he look like you? Or um, the people who knew that we used a donor who uh, knew that we, he was, conceived using an egg donor, which was basically everyone. I mean, I was very open about our, our process. Um, we're going to be saying things like, he looks like Brian, my husband. He looks, he has his eyes, he has his mouth, he has this. And how was I going to feel in those moments? Was I going to um, feel left out? Um, and I was, I was scared for those moments and what it was going to, what that was going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I notice now that I'm much more careful in how I choose to respond to questions like that because I recognize that what I'm saying now and how I'm answering these questions is really setting the stage for how comfortable I am in the years to come answering them in front of him when he, when my son, when he is able to understand what I'm saying. That's right. Um, you know, it's, it's so con one of the things that I hear the most often is, you know, he has your skin color. So he, I'm olive skinned. And so is he, he was born with very dark hair. I have dark hair. His father is blonde haired, blue eyed. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's obviously some similarities, which is in fact, to his, our egg donor was olive skinned and has, has uh, dark hair. Mm -hmm. And so um, at first it was, I would get very anxious. I was very nervous about it. And then I noticed how other people in our families, uh, and friend and friend relationships who knew wanted to kind of jump in and almost rescue me from the situation. And they'd say, yes, of course he looks like her. Really? Uh, you know, and I had my, one of my very best friends, I absolutely loved the way she handled it. Someone had asked, uh, you know, who does he look more like? And she said, Oh, he just looks like himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it was so true. And that had been the first time in a really public situation that I had been asked. And so I appreciated the support, but it really got me thinking, how do I want to be answering these questions? Yeah. 
And so I practice, I practice when Mm -hmm. I'm rocking him to sleep, telling, you know, I practice noticing what is similar about him and his father and what is similar to him and uh, his egg donor and uh, what is similar about us as well as what is different Um, and really celebrating how the things that, how different he is in such a wonderful way. He's a really adorable kid. And even, you know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's, is himself you know what my girlfriend had said mm-hmm. you know he looks like him he yes that's my favorite answer by the way <laughs> he looks like him that's my favorite answer you and so what have you found have you found a good response you I'm know sure. it changes so mm-hmm. i um i practice with things like well he's the perfect trifecta <laughs> you know he's, he's got all three of us in there somewhere mm, and i like home. that um i you know i'm, I'm practicing with different different answers. Uh, when people say he, you know, he has his dad's this, it's like, yeah, he does. And he also has, I, 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 I try to sort of, um, pair it with something that's just about him. Yeah. Always a connection between, yes, of course, you've gotten this thing, you've gotten maybe an eye color, you've gotten, and that that's not really all of you Mm -hmm. or, and and I also think and finding it more important to be pairing it with something that's about him. He also has just the cutest giggle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something that nobody would really ever attribute to either of us. Yeah. I love that. And how you're shifting the attention off of those shared physical traits and changing the subject to something just a little bit more, maybe, um, valuable and exactly and more relevant in general. It's just yeah. so common for us to focus on physical features. And I think it's just a go-to it's easy. It's kind of thoughtless talk. I don't mean that to sound rude, but no, but it does. Right. And then that's how people are trying to for, forge connection um, by finding some sort of common commonality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's kind of what we do. It, it's human nature to a certain extent. Right. Right. But you're right as a mom to, be basically guiding and steering those conversations and you can steer them in gentle ways. Um, you can steer them assertive ways. And, and so it becomes this very comfortable way of talking about it. Not at first, cause you, it feels yes. awkward, but it gets to that point where it's very comfortable. And that's the attitude you convey to your child is that you're comfortable right. with it. And I had, I didn't notice what was making me uncomfortable. Right. So I had a couple experiences where, you know, I I would tell someone that I was uncomfortable having had just been asked, you know, does he look like you or did, what did he get from you? And people would say, oh, well, you just kind of say, yeah, he does. And you move along. And I realized how uncomfortable I was with that idea because at some point then my fear would be that I would be inadvertently suggesting that there was some sort of reason to be ashamed Mm -hmm. that he didn't get traits from me Mm -hmm. genetically. And so of course there will be other things that he will, um, just by the sheer fact that we'll, I'll be raising him and absolutely, but genetically. And so realizing that it was other people who were actually uncomfortable with having to have a conversation about things that they didn't know much about Mm -hmm. and that I didn't need to, or I don't need to not engage in those conversations because I'd be making them uncomfortable by sharing how, Mm -hmm. how sharing his conception and, and that I was a recipient of an egg donor. I've had, you know, so I've had just family members ask questions. I also had, you know, two pretty significant experiences while I was in the hospital, actually having had him, I was in labor. I was 12 hours in 
And um, I had a, the nurse's uh, change of shift had happened. And she was the nurse that had been working with me was was very lovely. And she was very well intentioned. And she was giving her kind of report to the next nurse about uh, what had been going on with me. And she said, she looked at me and said, do you know your uh, blood type? And I said, yeah, it's B positive. And she said, okay. And she turns to the other nurse and she said, he's B positive. Dad is O negative, And the real mom is O positive. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I was just in shock in that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm in pain, but I'm, I'm, I'm in mm-hmm. shock thinking, how does it not get more real than this? I've been having contractions every two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, how does it not get more real? And and yeah. knowing that that unfortunately I wasn't while well, shocked that it was happening in that setting, it wasn't the first time that had been referenced to the real parents, mm-hmm. and it wasn't lost on me that I was not the person they were referring to. Yeah. Um, and then the second one was a was an OB who came to do her rounds a few days in. Um, I wound up I wound up being in hospital for five days postpartum, and so I, I'm not exactly sure how many days in I was. And she had already said to me prior to to the baby being born that she hoped that he would get my dimples, and I had said reminded her, you know, sort of gently, "Well, we're using an egg donor." And at that point, I was already afraid of that question coming up. Um, and so when she had come in a few days postpartum and had said, "Oh, I was, you know, I've been dying to see him," did get your dimples and I'm already a wreck I'm you know I've been crying and I hadn't slept and and I said no you know remember we used an egg donor and she said oh I'm so sorry I keep forgetting but you know you could have just said no Mm. and that moment was at the time shattering I was heartbroken I had and, and interestingly enough it was this old part of me that was like, you don't make other people that uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, don't make her uncomfortable. Um, and then it became, if you start being honest, if you start being authentic with this answer, other people become uncomfortable. Now, mm-hmm. the, the first couple weeks of my postpartum experience, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of sadness. I'm open about that too. It was, it was quite a struggle. And mm-hmm. I, when I was able to come out of that space and work my way out of that space, um, I had a, I, I, it's become so clear and hindsight's 2020 that as long as I know that there is no shame in our story and that that was unfortunately her discomfort that hopefully that doctor and that nurse can work through, can learn more about. Mm-hmm. And the more that we're open and we're talking about these things and they can learn from that, that mm-hmm. I don't have to, it doesn't, it's okay if somebody else is uncomfortable. It is. And Absolutely. it's not our, it's not, it's, there's nothing shameful about our story. That's and right. so when I can say, no, I do need to answer it. I do need to tell you that that's how he was conceived. That's right. <laughs> no, I do need, to, I, I actually do need to be able to say that. Yes, you do. And that's important for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and for him to know so that no one can say, oh, you didn't need to tell me that you, that you were conceived by an egg donor. Right. That as long as I can watch this, I'm remodeling this from here on out. That's right. He sees me answering this in a way that is so proud of where he came from and proud of who he is. Then he gets, hopefully that that becomes a part of his identity formation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're absorbing and listening to not your words, but your nonverbals and your, your emotions. So our emotional brain forms first. So babies are primarily just an emotional brain. And so they pick up on, on all that. And so, yeah, I think you're so right to, to work through that discomfort and sit in the discomfort 
And we just all run from that, you know, as a society, especially the Western society, we really run from discomfort, but to sit in it and allow it to be a bit awkward, you know, that's okay. And I, I like that. I like that you said, you know, people are going to be uncomfortable and it's okay. And you don't have to comfort them because if you choose to comfort them, then you're choosing their comfort over your son's feelings of value. Exactly. And I'm modeling for him what it means to accept who he is and who we are as a family. Yeah. And I love the quote that says you cannot, I think it was a poet, an African-American poet. And I wish I had her name on the top of my head, but I don't. Um, But she said, no one can use against you to diminish you anything that you have accepted within yourself. And it doesn't take, it's not an overnight thing. It takes time. So like, I love how you say it's like a practice that you practice mm-hmm. it because it's not like you have this moment where you go, boom, I feel great. You know, I'm, exactly. I'm super confident with who I am. It takes time. And so yeah. it, you just keep practicing it. Keep going back, going inward, using like, what am I going to say when that person says this? Exactly. How am I going to steer the conversation if that comes up? You know, the hardest ones are when you're in those social settings where you're standing around a circle of people. Mm-hmm. Have you had those moments? Yeah. My, my, and that was actually my very first experience (laughs) with who does he look more like was in a social setting. Oh man. Tell me about that. Well, that was the one actually where my girlfriend said she, you know, he looks like himself. (laughs) Oh man. I love her. Um, and I, uh, I I was fumbling. I fumbled. I, I, um, I I forgive myself for fumbling, but I absolutely sort of went, I don't know. Uh, we, we can't figure it out. Um, I was looking at all these words and I, and it was interesting because uh, again, a very well-intentioned person who was just genuinely curious Mm -hmm. kept saying, well, well, what do you think? You know, she kind of kept pressing it. What do you think? What, What do you think? Who do you think he looks more like was the question. Oh, uh, you, you were dad, you were dad. And, and, um, you know, I, I just kept, I, you know, we're not sure yet. <laughs> we still have to see his eye color. Has mm-hmm. been, we're not sure if it's going to stay this way, you know, and I, I was having a very hard time because I, again, I was afraid of making her and the other people around us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Cause you've had all these eyes looking at you at the same time. So it's not a one-on-one where it can just make no. one person. Now you're going to make the whole group it's going to be uncomfortable. And oh, those are hard moments. <laughs> yeah. There's no simple answer there. It, it's right. yeah. They're really hard, right. but I love that your friend came, came in and said that he looks like <laughs> himself. And that's a great, you know, for, for someone else who's in that situation now, they can use the situation and go, okay, thank you for that. Cause now I, now I know I'm prepared and I can say exactly. he looks like himself. So you just helped a ton of people just by saying that story. Exactly. That. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, well, you know, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, the OBGYN and, you know, how the, the medical community and how they don't have often have the words for the psychological and social aspects, because there is such a huge component there with, you know, you've got the medical process, which is really important, but then a lot of donor conception is psychological and social. Mm-hmm. And, and so I like that you did have that conversation. And I think that's what we have to continue to do with medical professionals that, just aren't, you know, thinking about that. They're busy. They've got a lot of medical stuff to think about. I get it. And so it's just helping them use the term genetic donor. And so to that nurse who didn't know what to say, so they said real mom, that's a real antiquated thing to say, even in the adoption field, we, you know, we don't use those words anymore. Genetic donor is the word, just pass it along, <laughs> genetic yeah. donor. And so yeah. that's, that's what you can say. 
if you're out there Absolutely. working in the in the medical community and you run across uh, this topic. So a lot of people just don't know. They don't know what the word actually is. No, and it's so interesting to me that we don't think about how we even really define that word real. You know, I think it was probably mm -hmm. my... I was about four weeks postpartum when I decided I was just going to get my hair done. And I had actually gone to a, a hairstylist that I'd never been to before because it just timing it had worked out. And she um, was, you know, however, the topic came up and she had said that her um, a family member was going through infertility. And so we started getting to talking and I had mentioned then that I used an, an egg donor and she had also then used the term real mom. And mm. I, you know, quickly reached out afterward to a girlfriend of mine who is kind of ahead of me in the, in the real mom status of being an egg donor <laughs> recipient and said, are you getting this question? Are you getting this? And she said, yes, I am. Mm. And she sort of has bravely been asking people, to define the word mother when mm -hmm. they, when they have referred to, to the real mom. And I started thinking, how do I want to define the word real? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it mm -hmm. makes me real that I, that I am rocking him to sleep. It makes me real, a real mother that I am making sure that his needs are met. And it makes me a real mother that I love him the way that I do. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things that we're doing is, is what makes us real. That's right. <laughs> real people, real, real parenting. Um, but that yes, of course, that the, that the science, the community of the in the medical sciences, hopefully, can catch up to that too. Yeah, yeah. Socially, we just don't have an understanding, a widespread understanding, enough to to know what term to use. But parenting is that day in day out time that you spend with your child. Mothering is a verb. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so the, the term "real" can be very triggering for a lot of people. Um, adoptive parents and and parents of donor conceived children. It's just an old it's just an old phrase. It just takes time, but yeah, it's so good to talk about it. And so we can ed educate people that if they know specifics, then use the term. If they know it's an egg donor, say egg donor. If you know it's a sperm donor, say sperm donor. If you know it's embryo donor, say embryo donor. But if you don't know which, then just say genetic donor and so or donor. And so that that's a way to just help educate people about the right terms to use. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I also had some time to look over your blog and I really, really loved the way you wrote a, an open letter to your donor. And you talked about the connection between the two of you, which I find is so valuable because it's, it's an exercise I actually recommend people do in my book, mm. Three Makes Baby, to connect with their donor because when parents first come to me, they often feel threatened by the donor that, that maybe the donor has, you know, this one up on them somehow, you know, sometimes they see that person as the other and, and there's hurt and there's grief there. And so that can carry on where they have fears about this donor playing a role in their child's life that they don't want the donor to play, whether that be just the child wondering about the donor or wanting to search someday, a lot of parents really fear that. And so one way I help them to overcome their fears or to work on their fears is to, to connect with their donor because that way they can connect with their child as well. And so I love what you write here. You say in your blog that a connection exists now between two women, that would be you and your donor, who were complete strangers, but who in any other normal circumstance would never know each other's existence now will forever serve as a reminder that regardless of how unsettling things may seem, 
The world has always, always has more warmth and light than we often give it credit for. The way that you see that connection between the two of you as so like, you know, you really honor it and, and it's special. What was your, you know, you actually had some thoughts when you were writing that. I'm sure it was very emotional for you. Can you take me back to that kind of that moment when you were writing that? And I don't know that I can do it without tears, but I can. I, <laughs> I, um, I, that, I will never forget writing that. I, um, the, the days leading up to writing that piece, I thought that I was going to be walking away from this process, um, oh. childless. Um, I was having such an immensely difficult time wrapping my mind around the fact that I quote unquote, couldn't have my own children okay. <laughs> and what that meant for me. Mm -hmm. Um, we had had quite a roller coaster. We actually thought that we were battling male factor infertility and, um, it was by our third round of IVF that we had come, come to understand that, um, the, my eggs were actually the biggest problem. Um, and so my hardest part though, wasn't even, it was certainly the most extremely difficult to be grieving that, but my hardest part was in choosing a donor, how would I know that they were a kind person? Mm -hmm. How was I going to pull that from pages of a profile? Mm -hmm. And I, it, because it wasn't for me, it wasn't the hair color, the eye color, the, what somebody was going to look like, did they need to look like me? It was, how was I going to know that they were a good person? And does that get genetically passed? I needed, you know, I needed some kind of reassurance of that. Mm -hmm. um, I was privileged that this particular donor, that part of her left from her pages, <laughs> uh, from her profile, mm. that she made that very clear what her beliefs were, what her values were. And, um, and you know, it's shown, it, it shown through in her job and, and, um, they, you know, our clinic happened to also kind of give all of these different questions that lended itself to the opportunity for her to write from a place that uh, expressed who she really was. Um, and so when I left, when I went to my doctor's office that morning, I had said, you know, I, I'm not really not sure if I can do this. And he said, will you just take a look, take a look at the bar profile, see, you know, at, see if there's something. And she happened to be the very first person that I looked at. Wow. Um, I did continue to look at other people, but she had been the very, very first person. And I uh, believe that I chose her then within about 72 hours. <laughs> um, and the clinic that we used happens to only use anonymous donors, which again, then was my, if not first, my second biggest concern. Um, mm -hmm. I was not and continue to not be thrilled about the anonymity behind it. I don't think that that's actually something we can guarantee anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so, um, I, however, she had actually written in her one of her answers that she was willing to be in contact via the donor sibling registry. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was like last box that I needed checked off. She's willing to, to, to be, to be available. And I need, I need personally needed that. Um, yeah. not just for me, but for, for hopefully my future children, that they would be able to have questions answered or if they wanted to, to be in contact with her, that she was open to that. And I, that was a, a must for me. That's good. And that's in the contract. It is not in the contract because the clinic that we used required anonymous. Oh, okay, okay. But she had said it, that she was willing. And so we have actually already found each other via the donor sibling registry and have been in contact. Fantastic. So that's actually semi-open. And so, you know, that's important for people to understand that even if a clinic is calling it anonymous, 
um, like you did, you uh, renegotiated that just between the two of you and made it semi-open. So that's exactly. an option for other people as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the donor sibling registry was, was fantastic. I, I had uh, tried to find her many times while I was pregnant and it was actually the week I was, I was late. It was actually about three days after my due date that I wound up finding her on the donor sibling registry. And I shot her an email. I said, I don't know if this is you, but this looks like it could be you. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wrote me back within five minutes and said, I'm your girl. And nice. um, we have maintained some emails since, and I've sent her pictures and she has asked, uh, you know, if I'd be willing to update her, which I certainly have. And at some point mm-hmm. that will become my son's story to decide where he wants her in his life. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I will be, you know, his number one cheerleader along that way, mm-hmm. um, on, on that path. Yeah. I wonder if she would ever want to, you know, talk about it, about being a donor. I, I don't know. I could certainly email her. That is a wonderful question to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Be interesting. Cause, uh, again, I think, you know, I think clinics are going anonymous. Some are going and using anonymous only as a way to uh, keep keep their end more within the medical process, so they don't maybe have the resources or the infrastructure to to run a semi open connection between families. So they don't have just the staff and the the database or whatever they need. And so I think they're calling it that. But um, whatever you do after that is up to you. There's no laws that prohibit you from having contact with your donor. So there's just nothing established that would stop you from doing that if you wanted to. So, and that's, that's controversial. I know some people who may tell you different things. So that's a whole nother subject. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We won't get into that right this moment, but I know we will eventually. So glad you do that because that gives you information that you, you have just more control in a sense too, as a parent, you know, you can reach out if you need something, but there's still the boundary there that if you would like that distance for now, it's fine. And then over time you get to negotiate what type of relationship you want to continue with each year. It kind of, it's ever changing really. Absolutely. And, and, and respecting her, whatever her boundary is too. And that was one of the first things that I had said to her in email was whatever boundaries you have, um, I'm more than willing to, to respect. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day for me, it was that by accepting her, which mm-hmm. was a process in itself, right? Yes. I was, I, it's very scary. The idea of accepting somebody else who your child, you fear that your child will see as, you know, a replacement, which I have come to learn will never be the case. Yeah, <laughs> we cannot replace good. a human being. We can't replace each other. But no. but by accepting her that hopefully one day for my son and for what any other future children that we may have using using her, uh, this particular donor's genetics, that I will also be modeling acceptance of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, mm-hmm. that, that choosing to not accept her for me, choosing to not accept her wasn't an option because then I was also living with this kind of flame that it wasn't okay. And yeah. that is certainly not a, a flame I wanted to fuel. Yeah. Yeah. And what helped you to, what helped you get there? Time, um, gr- allowing myself to grieve allowing myself to be really honest with the people around me about the pain that I was in so that I could move through it enough that I could see what I needed in order to feel a sense of calm and a sense of peace about the decision. And, and there are still days where it flares up. And I think that being able to be really transparent and honest with myself about that, that there are days, like I said, where I grieve that I don't have his genetics, um, that, that I can be okay with it as long as I'm not trying to avoid it or pretend it's not there. 
What helped you to realize that you couldn't be replaced by the donor? Because he can't be replaced. <laughs> um, because this little boy, nobody, nothing could ever replace him. And if he, as a human being, just by being here mm-hmm. is enough, mm-hmm. I don't have the right. I don't have the right to say that I'm not either. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really believe that there's probably no greater job on this earth than to have the opportunity to teach another human being that they're enough Mm. exactly as they are. Oh, how beautiful. Oh my gosh. You know, whether that comes in the form of parenting Mm. or by the way of of being a family member or by true friendship or professionally or any, any other way that you have the opportunity to teach that to another human being. uh, It doesn't matter how, how, how you're put in the position to do it but just that we get the chance and just that we do it frequently and as mm. recklessly as we possibly can mm. love about each other is the best possible gift that I think that, that we can give. Mm. I feel like cussing. I feel like cussing <laughs> right now. <laughs> but if I can't give that, if I can't, I'm not, I'm not good at it every day. Mm. That's, for, that's for darn sure. I'm certainly not good mm-hmm. every day, but, but if I know that we cannot pour from an empty cup, that's right. And, and I can see this little tiny person who can't do much of anything. Yet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he's giggling and he's grabbing things. And yeah. He's cute as can be and he can eat like a champ, but I, yeah. not much else. And he is perfect exactly as he is enough exactly as he oh, is. Oh, yeah. So if he yeah. can be then aren't we all? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you just made me feel all warm inside my heart. <laughs> I don't, I wish I could just put that on air because I don't know what to say. I mean, that's just beautiful. Nothing needs to follow that. That's just oh, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. That's absolutely right. You know, and that's, that's what it's all about. Essentially the message is right there is that you are enough and he is enough. And if everybody's operating from that feeling, then there is more than enough love to go around. Absolutely. And yeah, for knowledge, the days where we don't feel enough. That's right. <laughs> Without pretending they're not there. So yeah. true. They are there. And yeah. And so it's just kind of overcoming those when they come up and confronting them and putting your child, your child's needs first. So, and I tell you what, you know, we say that we put our child's needs first and it seems all martyrdom-ish and stuff. But the truth is, the honest truth is when we do that, we actually grow so much as individuals and as people. And like, I know me, when I learned to put my, some really tough stuff, but that my daughter needed, but put that first in front of me and my own needs and work through my discomfort and my pain and struggle damn, did I get stronger? Okay. I cussed. There it is. I got stronger. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so we benefit too. It's not just like this, this sacrificial martyrdom. Oh, parenting is just all about take, take, take. No, you get something back too in a huge, huge way. Absolutely. There's a book um, broken open by Elizabeth Lesser um, that I had started reading during my fertility struggle and there's a chat, I, I think it's a section. She has her books that sectioned off, but it, but it was titled Children. And I remember getting it to it and, and I, was our, I was in a very sad place and was told I couldn't have children. And I was um, lo- kind of looking at this chapter like, ah, I don't know if I should be reading this. And I get to a line that said, if you, something, I don't certainly don't want to butcher her words, but something along the lines of, if you want 
to really know yourself. If you really want to grow more than you've ever grown before, have a child. And I shut the book and I said, well, I'm not reading this. Mm. Um, and I reopened it. I did. I just, I reopened mm. it after, um, after my son was born that that particular chapter, I'd finished the rest of the book. I skipped it, that chapter, but I had gone back and she, and you know, she talked so beautifully about how parenting really points out these parts of yourself that you either knew you were there in a void or that you had no idea about <laughs> that sort of come to the surface. And it certainly is true. And, and when you are battling, when you are learning how to parent and what your parenting style is while also trying to understand what, it, what being different in terms of a family conception and creating your family, when you feel already feel different, it certainly brings that out tenfold. <laughs> how you feel about yourself, how you feel about the world around you. It's so true. It's so true. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And then I like to say, lean toward openness when you're going into this process and whether, you know, something new, something you didn't expect, something that's challenging you, a new story, a different path, you know, lean towards openness because if you do that, then you can continue growing and learning with your child. You know, I remember when we were first adopting, uh, we had a baby shower, which was kind of, you know, it was awkward. I wasn't pregnant and we we're having a baby shower, but you know, we did it anyway. And, uh, it's like stepping into those places that you feel uncomfortable. And, and I remember writing in her signing book, you know, like you're coming and you're going to teach me things. I don't even know what you're going to teach me yet, but I know you're going to teach me some amazing things. I'm going to grow by knowing you, mm. you know, and when we parent that way with this openness of what our, our child's also going to teach us as we teach them. Absolutely. Some magic happens there. Oh, and, and what a, what a unbelievably cool experience it is to know that what sort of gets taken away in a wonderful yeah. way yeah. from, from parenting is I don't have to go, Oh, you know, I can't believe I gave that to you. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, I get this opportunity to just let him as you're getting to do, as you have, are getting to do and have gotten to do to say, uh, who are you? He, mm -hmm. Tell me who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and there's a little bit of the, this window that I don't know that everybody gets and what a cool experience. When you can separate yourself from who they exactly. are, exactly. you get to fully appreciate them exactly. and not take credit. <laughs> and so we get to, we get to go into it in a way, either you know, good or bad credit. That, yeah. Which is nice. So true. It's nice to get a little perk, <laughs> you know, the perk perks. Yes. We don't. Mm -hmm. It's so nice. It's liberating, isn't it? It's, there's a freedom there and it's fun. It's, it's, <laughs> exactly. yeah, you get to, like exactly. I said, in one of the podcasts, I get, to, you get to borrow them for a little while in a really good way. And then they, and then they go on and, and they take the gifts that you've given them into the world. So yeah, it's, it's so amazing. Wow. You know, one thing I also saw in your post, which stood out to me and kind of switching gears a little bit more into something maybe qu not quite as warm, fuzzy feeling, but that when you were going through this, it sounds like a lot of people were saying, you know, you were choosing your donor and they were saying things that they wanted to, you to almost take the emotion out of it. And I, you know, you wrote, if I heard it's just science quotes in quotes, it's just science. One more time. You felt like you were going to mm -hmm. implode mm -hmm. um, because you thought they were trying to ease your concerns, but it really wasn't doing that. And I think that still comes up this idea that it's not a big deal. 
right? And, and I think that's the message that comes across when you say it's just science. It doesn't matter who, who you choose, or it doesn't matter that it's not your genetics. We sort of completely invalidate that we are emotional beings. <laughs> um, that whether I mm. separated out, which I, look, I I've never been good at that myself. I'm, I am <laughs> I lead with emotion. Um, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I <laughs> kept hearing it's basically what I, what I, my perception by the, by the statement, it's just science. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You'll find, you know, you'll find your donor. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what they're, if they're kind, you're, you're never going to know. Um, it really invalidated that we're human mm -hmm. beings and that I was creating a human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and that it does, it absolutely doesn't mm -hmm. matter that we can't take the emotion out of it. And by suggesting that we do, we then don't give people the opportunity to grieve out loud. And infertility is already such an mm. unbelievably isolating experience. I was lucky. I consider myself lucky to have the, a group of girlfriends that I do and individual friends, girlfriends that I do, who um, even when they didn't understand, or even when I, it's the, my the, my journey of infertility separated us in some way, um, that we came, that we were always able to come back. And not everybody has that, and I still felt isolated. <laughs> and and so, yeah, we have to it, it, my. My push, I guess, is that we have to make sure that in any space that is available to us to allow people to emote, that we do that. Absolutely. We don't pretend that there that any of this or anything, any infertility struggle is not just that, an emotional ride, a huge shift in how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us and mm -hmm. being able to talk about it is unbelievably important and being able to say you know maybe I don't understand but I want to yeah and and having people leave that open rather than kind of just diminishing it or minimizing somebody minimizing the experience by chalking it up to really cool science <laughs> absolutely it starts with recognizing the grief, the inherent grief that happens during infertility, no matter how long or short the journey, infertility has grief and it. it has multiple losses and complex grieving. And we don't, as a society, we're still not recognizing that entirely. We're beginning to. Mm -hmm. You think I always want to go back to the support I received when I lost my mom and how people were so supportive and they they do those things that just are so, like you said, grief needs to be expressed and, and it does, it needs to be witnessed and expressed. And so people will you know, hug you or just sit with you and listen attentively or bring you flowers or bring you food. And they don't come over and say, well, you know what? It's just death. Or you yeah. know what? It's just cancer. You know, it's, it happens. They don't do that. Nobody does that. <laughs> well, maybe some right. people, but, and so we have to teach people that it, the same applies. You you can't tell somebody it's just this because it does minimize it. And I just, it, it's those people that just aren't realizing the intense grief that comes along with infertility and the, in, in the infertility process. Yeah. All of those, these sort of statements that people would say, you know, why, well, then why don't you just adopt? Yeah. Uh, why don't yeah. you, 
And it was like, well, first, I mean, that is a whole other process in itself. And I, I, you know, conversations that you, you, you find yourself having to grieve while educating people at the same time, which is such a difficult process because mm. you're tired. Because no one understands. Yeah. Want to be understood mm. so deeply and so intensely, but you also don't want to have to explain yourself. It's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting. Mm. It is an absolutely exhausting process. And I, you know, I use the word isolating as many mm. people do when you describe mm. infertility. And mm. I, to be perfectly honest, wish there was a more intense word. Sometimes I don't even know that isolating, that the word isolating truly depicts how um, lonely how lonely infertility can be, you know, uh, this idea that, well, if you can't have kids, even though you want them, look what great your life can be without that, you know, this Mm -hmm. kind of, let's just shift to how great it will be anyway, which people who, who do decide at some point that that might be the road that they take will as long as they go through their grieving process, we'll get to that point of acceptance, but to do it before other, to force people into it will never work. (laughs) No, no. And some will have a lifelong um, relationship with grief too, you know, with different varying um, levels of it. So yeah, it is incredibly isolating because just like you described, you, when you attempt to connect with people, you're met with more, uh, confusion and um, misunderstandings and feelings of of you're not getting what you need and now you're too tired because you now you actually have to give something to them education and you're yeah. too tired to do that and so you end up closing down and retreating from that as well and and so yeah it's uh, many women I talk to will say I I don't go anywhere anymore I don't go to parties I don't go anywhere I'm invited I don't even go to families houses anymore because parent you know family asks questions I don't want to answer. And so I'm spending so much of my time alone just by myself and, and it's hard. So absolutely, church, we do need a, a stronger word. So for it, if you think of one, let me know. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, if you were to end with something, I mean, you said so many amazing thought provoking and eye opening things today. So thanks for that, first of all, and for coming on the podcast. And is there anything that you would end with in like maybe some piece of advice or moving forward with if somebody's out there and they have their baby home and they're struggling with these questions of resemblances and who does the baby look like and, and they're struggling to accept that feeling like the real parent? Is there anything moments that maybe a moment that you've had with your son or something that you do that helps that helps that? I do. Um, there, you know, we had moved, uh, gosh, two weeks before his due date. So three weeks before he was born and we had a room that we decided was going to be a playroom. And I had purchased these two, they look like scrolls almost that hang on the wall. But one of them is from, is a quote from the Velveteen Rabbit. <laughs> uh, and I absolutely, absolutely love it. But part of the quote is, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you when a child, but I would say, and when anyone loves you for a really long, long time, Mm. uh, then you become real. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the rabbit goes on to ask, does it hurt? And they say, sometimes when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. And I think what's so 
yeah. poignant to me about that is that we love doesn't come without hurt, right? So to to expect to go through this process to decide to be an egg donor recipient is painful, and I don't in any way take my joy now does not in any way take away from that. Um, but I would say to anybody considering going through the process that to not be afraid by that pain or to recognize that the fear is there. And as Elizabeth Gilbert says, don't let it, doesn't get a vote. Um, mm-hmm. It's come along for a ride, but it doesn't get a vote. And mm-hmm. the ending of that Velveteen Rabbit quote is it doesn't happen all at once. You become, it takes a long time. And that's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. By the time that you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop mm-hmm. out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. <laughs> But these matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Whoa. This idea that the people who want to learn will come to understand and you are real as a as a as a person and you are real as a parent, as a mother, as a father. Um just just because you love the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um And so you will, you know, we will move through the grief in all kinds of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. But hopefully it doesn't stop you from trying. You know, I say that we didn't, I don't think that I beat infertility. Um, I don't, I don't look at it. It it wasn't a fair fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't beat it, but we certainly outsmarted it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I, you know, I, I, I hope that other people out there just know that they're not alone. Yeah. Love makes you real. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com and target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.